This is Samia Bano with Make Change Fun and Easy, podcast to help you create massive positive change in your life and the world. Hello, Salam, Shalom, Namaste, Sasrikal, Hola, Aloha, Bonjour, and Ciao. So good to have you back with us, Lisa. I'm so super excited. I just absolutely loved our conversation the first time. And for those of you who might have missed the last episode we did with Lisa, Lisa is a, a wellness coach. She's an intuitive eating expert, and we're talking about how we can create a better relationship with our bodies and the way that we eat. And Lisa, last time you shared with us, I believe, the first three of the 10 principles on which intuitive eating is built. So tell us more. What's the fourth principle? <laughs> so it's, you know, it, there's not one principle that is greater or better than another. And depending on your own personal history or relationship, some principles are going to be easier than others. The, so the principles that we did, you know, another principle that I would love to share about is something called challenge the food police. And this one has a lot of meaning to me, and I'm going to say to a lot of people in diet who diet or in diet culture. And when I say the food police, I'm talking about those nasty little voices, that commentary that you hear every time you choose to make a decision about food or you step on the scale and they bring you down that negative rabbit hole. When you challenge the food police, you start to change your thoughts, which will change how you feel. And you can start to say, you know, like that little voice is, you know, you can't do this and you need, you know, what is, what is your commentary? What is your comeback? Learning to have, you know, a few different um, responses when you start to hear that voice. I mean, some people even name that voice, whatever, however you hear it, it's learning to understand that those voices are not helping you and how do you shift those voices to support you? Yes, that is really important. Oh my gosh, challenging the food police. <laughs> I think so, I, I, for a long time, I was my own worst food police. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. It's, you know, how do you turn how do you turn them into a positive? So you can have like the nutrition informant ah. who is going to tell you, and this was one of my biggest challenges is that I would go into a grocery store and um, I'm a former caterer. So I do a lot of cooking and most of my food is um, from scratch and whole foods. And that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that when I would walk down the middle aisles and I would be buying prepared products or ingredients, I wouldn't even see what I would see is the nutrition label mm. on every food. Like I could go up and down an aisle and I could just look at that food and I could tell you there's so many calories, there's so many proteins, carbs, fats, here's the ingredients in it. It's a good food or it's a bad food. Uh. 
the end of the day, it's just not that important. How does that food make you feel? And now when somebody says, well, how many calories in that? I simply don't know any longer. I have worked really hard to erase those details. And it's, you know, how does the nutrition inform and become your nutrition ally? Oh. How, do, how do you learn to eat based on how do foods make you feel? Mm. How, you know, it's going back to last episode, you know, we talked about um, habituation and making peace with food and we talked about M&Ms. M&Ms are not good or bad. How do those M&Ms make you feel? 10 M&Ms might make you feel fine. Like, oh, I get my chocolate fix. It makes me feel good. I'm ready to go. A bag of M&Ms and you might decide that you need to now spend the next hour in the bathroom because you don't feel so good. How do, you, how do the foods make you feel? And over time, nutrition actually comes last in the practice of intuitive eating for the reason that we're talking about is when you bring in nutritional information and you're so focused on healthism, yeah. it it doesn't help you to be connected to your body. It brings you back into your head. So you, there's a fine line between being, you know, conscious of foods that make you feel good and getting caught in society's idea of healthism that, you know, you can read any article or you can see any marketing and they're going to tell you that, you know, if you eat this, you're going to get that. If you eat this, you're going to have cardio, you know, um, heart disease. It, it doesn't work that way. What are your actions and your behaviors, not the number on the scale or how much you weigh that is going to lead you towards or away from one particular disease? And there's no black and white, even the healthiest, everybody, nobody's excluded. Everybody gets sick and everybody dies. That's that true. is a fact. Yeah. And it's not if you eat one food that you are going to get sick and die. I mean, the big conversation that we always have in my house is um, my partner loves, loves, loves Cheetos. And prior to becoming an intuitive eating health coach, I would never buy Cheetos. Like I would go to the market and I purposely would not buy those for them because they were bad for him. Fast forward, you want Cheetos? Eat your Cheetos. A bag of Cheetos could last a month in our house because they're no longer that prized possession. Mm. He likes them, he eats them, so what? Um, and I know that's a hard thing to hear from coming from a health and wellness coach because people just automatically, quote unquote, assume that I don't eat, quote unquote, or, or serve bad foods. All foods are equal. There's no good, bad food does not have a moral value. Mm. And again, when we talk about food freedom, it allows us to make food choices based on how we're feeling. And so, you know, really making, you know, quieting that chatter of the food police because they show up in many different ways. Yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. And I think something that you mentioned last time is also very applicable in this case in terms of it's going to take a little bit of time for your mind and body to learn to think in new ways and better more accurate ways um, about food and what's what makes you feel good and what doesn't because there's just like um 
actually makes me think of something my dad taught me um, because you know after after we came to America um, like before I came to America I never had weight problems honestly uh, especially when I lived in India I never had weight problems I would gain weight when I went to Pakistan in the summer because <laughs> my summertime I, I was gorging on lots of rich foods and so forth um, but that wasn't like how I ate year-round and so when I went back to India resumed my normal lifestyle my weight went down and normalized to whatever it was never had weight problems even when we moved to moved to um, moved to the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East for a few years I didn't have um, any significant weight problems but after we came to America everyone in my family started to gain weight and it wouldn't stop um, we all became seriously overweight and even obese um, at one point in my case uh, <laughs> And one of the things we realized was that, um, I mean, I mean, we thought we were still eating well, but a lot of the food that we were eating had like um, a lot of like empty calories and, and it, like it was processed and it was high in sugar and um, like we didn't realize the hidden sugars and all that. But the point of all of that that I'm trying to make is that my brain got tricked into thinking what I was eating was good food. And in some ways it definitely tasted good, but I didn't recognize the ways in which it didn't actually do good for my body, that it didn't make me feel bad. Like when I was gaining weight and I was starting to feel sick, I didn't, I didn't necessarily link it back to the food that I was eating. I just thought, oh, I'm just getting sick I'm, I'm just gaining weight I don't know why there's something wrong with me and I, I I didn't I didn't know how to properly understand what was happening and how to and and what relationship it might have with what the what what food I was eating and what really is healthy and and what it's not and so it was very very confusing um and I mean, you know, so what when you were just saying something of what you were saying about the food in itself is not good or bad, um, you know, I, 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 I hear what you're saying and I, and I, you know, I'm sure like once you, there's a part of me <laughs> because I'm stuck in the diet culture and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I, I want to get to the part about the nutrition. <laughs> like, tell me. Tell me what so, is real nutrition, but uh, I hear what you're saying that we need to slow things down and relearn a lot of things first. Right. So you hit on, you said a few things in all of that that really stood out uh-huh. was that you, for, you know, when we use the word overweight or over obese, yeah. over what weight? Mm. So that's the first thing is that diet culture has us thinking about a weight that it has to be specific. And, you know, what I like to say is, you know, how do we 
turn the word fat into not having a negative connotation has the same value as fat, thin, small, large, right? And when I work with my clients, we talk about being in larger bodies. We talk about, you know, fat bodies. We talk about what term makes you feel comfortable when we're referring to your body, right? And what you said though, what was really stood out was you didn't clue in to the effects of how you were feeling or why you were sick and being tired is it wasn't about the weight, it was about how the food was making you feel. And part of that goes to one of the, there's two principles that that kind of touches on, um, several principles actually. <clears throat> where it goes into coping with your emotions with kindness mm. because I'm guessing when you came to the states that there was a lot going on that it was not an easy move that there was a lot of emotions going on and your eating habits changed and you were trying to do things to make you feel better and all of these easy products were a quick fix to manage your emotions which helped you be resilient like those kept you strong they kept you happy until they weren't working any longer and you needed to create other tools in your toolbox to manage those emotions besides food, not instead of food, in addition to food. The other thing, a um, couple of things is noticing when you are full, because when you eat empty calories, our bodies get tricked and then you're still hungry. Right. And then you tend to overeat because our bodies don't understand what's happening because empty calories is a, is a serious diet trick of restriction and deprivation. Mm. And then we think that we're an emotional eater because at six o'clock at night or at nine o'clock at night, you're starving and you tend to overeat to make up for the lack of nutrition during the day. Mm. And then the, the hub, like the primary hub of the practice of intuitive eating comes down to satisfaction. Mm. And especially with your ethnic history and cultures of food, I'm guessing with all of those homemade foods, there was always, even, even when meat wasn't readily available, that your food was still hearty and satisfaction satisfactory it, it made you feel satisfied and fulfilled that you didn't need to go back for more all of those empty foods didn't provide you with the satisfaction yeah. and sometimes i mean sometimes you're just you're craving something and an ice cream is what is going to satisfy you and that is okay but when we're talking about being satisfied, the components to satisfaction are not just necessarily about the food. Mm. It's also about the environment. It's about feeling secure. It's about the relationships. It's about how and when you're eating it. What is your stress level? All of those components bring satisfaction into the core. And when we're satisfied physically, mentally, and emotionally, we're not reaching out and continually to look for more to satisfy to make us feel better. Yes, that is such an important uh, point that you just brought out that even the concept of satisfaction when you're thinking about how do you satisfy or being satisfied with the food that you ate, it's not just even about the food itself. There's these, all these other layers to it. And I, I, if you don't have an awareness or an understanding of what all these different layers are, that's when, you know, you can sort of 
get confused about what you're doing and why you're doing it in terms of how you're eating. Right. Yeah. Mm. So all of these principles, they're very strong as individuals yeah. and they all are interwoven and they're all part of the practice of intuitive eating. Um, so just kind of quickly, another couple of the other principles are respecting your body. And that goes back to, you know, how are you, you know, how do you treat your body? They, as I had said in the, um, our previous um, call, our bodies are with us until the end. You don't have to love your body. You don't have to think your body is beautiful. You don't have to think your body is all of these things. How do you respect your body to be able to take care of it and focus on the, all the things that your body can do for you? You have, you know, maybe you have larger thighs and legs. Well, that allows you to hold your children or to snuggle with your partner. It allows you to walk up the stairs. If you, you know, if you have a big belly, how do you turn that into something that it allows your body to do? And, you know, maybe you have a baby that loves to snuggle in and play with your belly, even though it may make you feel uncomfortable. Babies love that soft, squishy feeling of being snuggled and loved in a body. There is always a way to shift or to focus on the parts of your body, your beating heart, look at what it allows you to do because basically with you know if you don't have that we have nothing and how do we spend the time on this earth focusing on all the things that our body allows us to do even if it is just something small and simple about your body to start to be able to have a better relationship with the internal organs of you know what your you know your your heart or your brain because that's not visual. Right. How do you begin to appreciate the non-visual and work from there and begin to understand and create a better relationship? So when you're saying like, oh, you know, I hate my body. Well, how do you thank your heart for beating? Mm. How do you, you know, appreciate your hands because they allow you to hold your partner's hand or your child's hand or allows you to write or type or do the things that you love to do? Yes, yes. Oh just love 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 what you're saying uh, you know one of the things that i've experienced in my life is is when, when we talk about creating change and making change fun and easy like creating change with love is actually such a key aspect of how to make change more fun and easy also and so in this context when we're trying to change something about our bodies the way we eat the way we think to do that with love is so so important and there is actually this um saying i can't remember exactly how it goes but it's, um but something to the effect of only when you accept yourself can you then change yourself it's like it seems like a paradox and uh, but it's so true only when you accept yourself in this loving compassionate way can you change yourself 
it's like, how do you create awareness? So when you create awareness, we're removing the judgment and we're bringing in the curiosity. And when you remove the judgment and you go to curiosity and you're willing to experiment and to try other things, that's where the change can happen. And when you are aware of, you know, there's a circumstance and we have our thoughts and our thoughts are just a string of words. And if you don't like the way that those string of words make you feel, we have the ability to change those thoughts. How do you, and you don't go from body hatred to body love. We're not talking leaps and bounds. How do you create thoughts that are, you know, kind of like a ladder? Yeah. Start really tiny, small, something that is believable. I'm not a big believer of, you know, the affirmations of, you know, I'm going to tell myself that life is wonderful every day when you are struggling with whatever stresses you have, you know, everything is a stepping stone. You are a work in progress. Um, keeping, keeping the ladder, the rungs very close together so that it is a very, you know, it's progress, not perfection. You don't go from A to Z in a split second. You need to go through the rest of the alphabet to get there and to be able to take one small step at a time. Yes, I agree with you. And I, I think the only sort of shift that I make in my thinking in that context is that I love to know the 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 the, the furthest that I could go uh, you know and then still take small steps to actually get there uh, and, and an example that I will give in, in just a different context um, because you know that's more my area of expertise is you know I'm a trauma survivor actually I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse and so when we're thinking about healing from trauma uh, one of the things that I found really really helpful in my trauma healing journey was when someone showed me a vision of what my life could be like as I continue to progress on the healing journey and and not and, and, and here's the real real amazing thing that I learned what and that motivated me to just keep wanting to go on and on and on with the healing journey was you you know there's this um in the trauma healing world, we talk about these three stages of healing. So the first stage is when you're victim, you have just experienced the trauma and um, you know, you're, you're still in the, in the crisis, and, but then that ends. And so then you shift from being victim to survivor and then you're in survivor mode. What you're really trying to do is get back to a point of recovery. So you can get back to the point of wellness that you had prior to your experience of of that trauma. And for a lot of people, they think that's as good as it gets. And for a lot of people, even just hitting that point of recovery is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And it doesn't have to stop there. And, And that's the vision that I got shown was that you can actually go continue to grow 
and heal and so you go from being a survivor to being a thriver to actually thriving in your life so that you are in a state of wellness that is even greater than before you were uh, experiencing that trauma and that it doesn't stop you know that 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 you can continue to grow and like for me the idea of you know that ah so not only can i stop suffering but i can actually reach a place of calm and then after i can reach a place of calm i can actually reach a place of being peaceful and then after i achieve being uh, in a place of peace i can actually learn to be happy and then after i learn to be happy i can actually be joyful and then after joyful i can be blissful and you know there's just more and more and more growth and healing and joy and love and and there's no end to it and and when i saw that vision i was like oh oh i I want to get to the next next bit how do i get to the next bit and for me having that sense of oh there's more more amazing uh you know things that i can experience and feel that really really motivated me and at the same time it was like ah no i can't end at the end point all at once so just one step at a time right there is no there is no end point and it's like with that ladder it's like okay i've climbed here how do i reset so that i can go here yeah. but when you you know like in step 1 somebody didn't say oh you're going to get to blissful because you would have said i you can't even you can't even see more than 10 seconds in front of you you're in so much pain yeah so what we're talking about is you know and it's it's not continuing moving it you know while you're getting there it's yeah. okay I've done the work on here. Now I'm going to do it. I'm going to do more work or differently or focus on something else and I'm going to set new goals and and hopes and dreams of how I can continue to improve my health and wellness. Right. And it's and that's where I said, you know, in the beginning that you can't fail the practice of intuitive eating. Yes. that it is as much as i you know by no means am i a perfect intuitive eater i don't even know that there is such a thing as a, as a perfect intuitive eater yes and when i work with my clients and i'll share principles they'll be sharing information all of a sudden i'm like oh like i can take this information too and make it a little bit better for myself that you know going back to that onion it's like you continue to just look at things and figure out how to continue to dig a little bit deeper to go a little bit further and it all comes down to time patience practice and self compassion yeah awesome thank you again so much lisa and once again i'm going to have to stop our conversation right here but you know what come back another time <laughs> I would love 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 to come back. Yay. Um and anybody who's listening, um I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have a group program called Body Peace and Food Freedom that I open up a couple of times a year and you know, I offer free discovery calls. So if anybody has questions, just want to share where they're at, I'm happy to continue the conversation with anybody who's interested and um you'll share my information in the notes. So thank you so much for having me. Yes, we will be including Lisa's links in the show notes so you can get in touch with her. Please, please get in touch with her. And um yeah, I just want to say I love you Lisa. Thank you so much for giving of your time. 
uh, so generally, generously and so um, so much of your wisdom so generously. I really, really appreciate it and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your stories. It just really is so heartfelt and genuine and it all applies to, you know, in so many different ways and just knowing that you, you know, everybody suffers. We all suffer differently and we all have our journey and choices on how we ultimately want to feel. And you are just on such a beautiful path to continue to feel joyful and happy and to share that message with everyone. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa.